Hello and welcome to Upfront of the Voice of America. My name is Jackson Vungani. Thank you so much for joining us today. Professional disc jockeys or DJs play a very pivotal role in the world of music and entertainment, transcending mere song selection to curate unforgettable experiences. DJs often possess a unique blend of musical expertise and an innate ability to read and connect with diverse audiences. And the evolution of DJing has transformed it from a niche hobby to a respected profession with DJs contributing significantly to the global music and entertainment industry. And joining me today are two young DJs from Rwanda, DJ Toxic, and from Eritrea via the U.S. is DJ Key. Guys, thank you so much for joining us today. It's nice to see you looking nice. Thank, thank you, you very much. DJ Toxic, DJ Key. All right, so... Let's start off with your origin story. How did you get interested? How did you start in the profession of DJing? Um, for me, I was always interested in music from a very young age. Um, and I went to Kampala. My sister owns a bar. I was just meeting all of these new DJs. And I kind of, it sparked my interest again in yeah. music. And I just figured, why not try and see if I'm good at it? It came very easy to It takes me, a lot so of courage to go on the turntables and to understand the, the technology. Long, yeah, it yeah. took a long time <laughs> to actually do it in front of people. Yeah. I was hiding in the living room first. <laughs> um, but yeah, I yeah. had gave it a try. I really enjoyed it. The energy was, it just was like an adrenaline rush. Yeah. Uh, so from there, I started taking gigs. And, and the rest is history. Exactly. DJ Toxic, uh, talk to me. How did you start? For me, I started at a very young age, like I was going to this uh, uh, street ball, you know, there's always music right there, the DJs making me, people go crazy, and I was like, you know... I want to be that guy. I want to be that guy, who, <laughs> you know, who <laughs> plays with um, moods, different moods of people, yeah. you know, if you come, you know, to the court, you're sad or you're happy, you know, he knows how to control with your emotions and all that, so that got me right there. Mm. Yeah. Alright, so how do you prepare for like a DJ session? I know you guys have a, a very busy weekend coming up. Yes. How do you get into the mood? I am constantly on the lookout for new songs. Even throughout the week, I'll mm. have my Shazam just open. Um, and so I just kind of curate it based off of the new songs I've found within the last week or two weeks. And then leading up, I would say two or three days, I'll go through all of that and kind of see what matches just make it work and then some do of you try to match it with your with the audience that you're going to play for for sure oh it's just yeah about you have, you have you to feel. know the crowd that you're going mm. into so i've been asking toxic a lot about you guys are going to, to be collaborating this weekend yes, yes. right yeah because there's always like um the guy who opens up you know the stage mm. and there's a headliner and all that and, you know you just try to get to the venue you know in time and listen to other DJs, you know, and try to not play what they play and, you know, get creative with whatever. Yeah. You so know, you, you have like a headliner. No, you're the headliner. You'll be the headliner. Is that, is that we what's are, the terminology? There's a headliner yeah. Yeah. and then you have an opening act. Yes. And you're hoping that the opening act does not steal the show, but most importantly, does not play the songs that he can. Playlist. Some, some yeah. of the times he can, right? Mm. Yeah. He, he does. He wants to, you know, they want to show off mm. and all that. Mm. So you try not to do the same mistake, mm. you know, so you just dodge him. <laughs> 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 you 
Yeah, but that's how we prepare our playlists. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it could be awkward if you have your playlist ready and you're ready to go with it and then somebody's playing before you and it has this exact same... Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. yeah, but when you've been in a game for so long, you know, you, you, you yeah. try to know what to not do mm. and what to do, you know. So how do you balance your personal style and preference with that of the crowd or the audience that you're playing for? I think it just goes to, like I said, asking questions to the promoters mm -hmm. or to whoever is organizing the event. Just make sure you know what crowd you're catering to. Mm -hmm. And you, as a DJ, because we already are listening to so much music, we kind of know what fits and what doesn't. Sometimes I play sets and I don't get to play a single song that I would personally uh. It's a sacrifice, but yeah. your job is to entertain, so you kind of just have to... What kind of cues are you looking for when you're playing from the crowd? I would say... Just to, still, to know that you're on the right path or people are feeling the vibe. Body language, really. Yeah. You can tell. Some guys if people are, are not dancing, then... Yeah, dancing <laughs> or just <laughs> even a head bob. Like, yeah. If they're just completely still and very uninterested you have to switch it up. Yeah. <laughs> There's a problem. <laughs> I think she said it best, yeah. you know. But, you know, for example, if we, uh, for this weekend, we're coming for Ronda Day. So I told her, you know, do a little homework about Ronda music. But East Africa and African, you know, you can just play one country mm -hmm. the whole night. Or one, you know, East Africa. You know, w as soon as we know that it's Ronda Day, East Africa... We gotta go that way, you know. As she said, promoters have. So to you go you heavy towards the East African exactly. music, yes. Unless because it's their weekend. So. Yeah. When when you're collaborating with a DJ like Toxic yourself, you know, just starting out. What do, what do you want to learn from him? Uh, for me, skill. Yeah. Because he has many many years over me. Yeah. Um, so just on the side, you'll see me side stage, just yeah, watching, just watching his laptop him, yeah. or his hands yeah. and just yeah. seeing what buttons he's pressing, yeah. and, you know. How, how are you feeling when you're up there? Like, do you have any kind of pressure? Do you feel any kind of pressure when you're like DJing or are you enjoying on the same level as the people dancing? Well, sometimes, sometimes you can be very um, focused mm. and one thing just, you know, makes everything go sideways, you know, so try to enjoy with the crowd, you know. It's it's not a serious work, but right. you gotta take it serious for your own sake. But also try to have fun with like the audience, you know, because it's a vibe that you're giving them. Right, right. You know, and do you feel any kind of pressure though? Like if when you're playing, of course, of course, yeah. Yeah. of course, yeah. Sometimes, yeah. You know, what, what what is going through your mind when you when you're playing? Are you thinking about the next song? Are you thinking about Always. most of the time? <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> next five songs. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What does it take to be a good DJ? I'm not, I, one, I would say personality. Yeah. You have to kind of, with any artistry, you kind of have to put a, a facade up. Mm. Even if you're not mm. an extrovert, you have to be very personable and be able to keep Are you an extrovert? I can be yeah. when I'm working. <laughs> when I'm working. <laughs> but you kind of just have to be used to interacting with, with 100 people yeah. all the mm -hmm. time. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, it's just... After that, I think it's really about dedication and how much time you're putting into your craft. Yeah. You have to study a lot. So. Now, sometimes you can play, what, uh, like in a week, about four different places. Do you ever, ever think back? Is there, is there an experience that really sticks with you when, you, when, you, when you're playing music and say, you know, back, you know, like, I like the crowd in this place. Yeah. I like the vibe and that state, you know. Definitely, yeah. Um, especially when you play in four... For different places, you you gotta have like your your favorite place. Yeah. You know, you're like, oh, these guys, they were really vibing to my, you know, getting into 
my kind of playlist. But yeah, if it's not that, you can have like three places that you vibe the most with. Mm -hmm. you know, it, it, it all depends with the crowd. So how do you select, um, I guess, how do you balance the selection of music between, like, say, the new uh, upcoming artists and the bangers, the mm -hmm. hits? I mean, you kind of have to do 50-50 mm. in a way. But um, aren't you worried that maybe at this point when you're introducing this artist to the crowd, there's a possibility that they might not dig it on the same level as you are? Mm -hmm. Yes, but I think you also, it comes down to skill and being able to mix it in a certain way that, they wouldn't even care mm. that they don't know the songs. There's sometimes where I'm out and I'm listening to a DJ and majority of their set list are artists I've never heard of or songs I've never heard of and I'm vibing. Just because of the way they've mixed that song, mm -hmm. it really, you just have to study the song in and out and make sure that the energy in the song is there. Yeah. Guys won't really care if they know the artists or not. Yeah. What are we toxic? Um, I think for me, it's all about confidence. You know, when you're introducing a new artist, that means you've listened to him over and over again. So that confidence comes in and you're like, okay, I think they're ready for this new, you know? Mm. Even if they're not ready, they're going to be seeing you vibing to it. They're going to like, you know, he's a DJ at the end of the day. So, you know, want to learn new music. Mm. And, you know, for me, I think it's all about confidence like they see you vibing with the, the new song they don't vibe with yes, it. yes sir. but what is the role of the dj in the ecosystem of music like wh what do you see yourself as as aside from just entertaining people in that moment mm -hmm. i think it's very very important a lot of newer artists or underground artists really need that push um especially when we're doing gigs like this definitely um you're you get to travel and go international, you mm. might as well put on somebody from Rwanda that nobody's ever heard of. It yeah. might be their one and only song mm -hmm. on Spotify or Apple yeah. Music. But you have the opportunity to then give them a platform. Um, and realistically, a lot of people don't go out and find new songs themselves. They will go on the radio mm. or they'll go to a club or a bar and they'll find that song. Mm. And that ends up being their playlist. So. Mm. Yeah, I think she said it best. You know, um, we're here to, you know, to make sure our people that are creating music, you know, we give them a chance that they never had, you know, to play their music in Washington D.C. for around the day. I think that means the world to them. Is there a genre of music that you enjoy playing or mixing more than the other? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> for you, what is it for um, you? I'm very into I'm a piano and South African house. Okay. Yeah. Uh, house in general. Yeah. Really, but I like the upbeat, just high energy yeah. kind of music. Yeah. yeah. I think uh, my piano fits with her style. Yeah. You know, it's very, Absolutely. It's very new. She's yes. very new. Yeah. She likes it. Yeah. And for me, I think it's Afrobeat just in general. Because when I came up, you know, my first thing was I was playing hip hop because not a lot of people back home knew about hip-hop or wanted to, you know, vibe to hip-hop. So I was doing that until Afrobeat came. So I was like, okay, now we talking. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> so Afrobeat. I have, to, I have to confess that I came to one of your, your sets you played in Kigali yeah. a couple of years ago, about 2021 or, or December 2020, and you played a lot of heavy on hip-hop. <laughs> you know, as much as I love hip-hop, I was looking forward to Afrobeat. So, <laughs> so that's my feedback for yeah, you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, all right, so... Talk to us about why you're here in Washington, D.C. What's up? We're here for Ronda Day, yeah. happening this Friday and Saturday. 
um, at Gaylord uh, Hotel, and you know I brought DJ K with me mm. all the way from East Africa. Wow. We're trying to represent. We're trying to like uh, teach people from here, especially the diaspora. The diaspora. About, yeah. You know about our music, our culture that we can do. You know whatever these guys are doing over here, mm. and we're from you know East Africa yeah. representing. Yeah, I mean, for me, being born and raised in the States and going back to East Africa, um, coming here for my first ever gig in the States yeah. is very big. Um, but like he said, really just showing the diaspora that there are opportunities back home yeah. and here, um, and it's really just about representing where we came from, so might as well go hard. Absolutely. Yes. Is, this, is this a homecoming for you, or that was the homecoming? No, homecoming I, I would consider this my homecoming. <laughs> this <is> my homecoming. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> DJ Toxic, DJ yes. Key, thank you so much, thank you very for, much. Very coming much for having us. To hang out with us here yeah. on Upfront on thank The Voice of America. Much. Thank you. Wish you all the best. Thank I'll be you. vibing thank with you guys yes. over the weekend. We can't wait I look to have you. <laughs> Absolutely. Thank you so much. Thank you. And let's go to Mogadishu in the Bondere district where elderly citizens gather every afternoon for an archery contest. The activity is part of a deeper historical tradition. And Jamal Ahmed Osman has more about this unique activity. Yusuf Bali Mohammed is in his early 60s and has been practicing archery for over two decades. He was once a hunter. He shares the history behind his favorite pastime. We chose archery because freedom fighters like Syed Mohammed Abdul Hassan use arrows and bows against the Ethiopian invading forces and other colonialists. The target, a shoe, placed at a distance ranging between 200 and 400 meters. Some of these elders do not need glasses to hit the mark. Ali Hussein Ahmed Sandiri, a 63-year-old archer, has been practicing since he was 13 years old. It is a tradition passed down from generation to generation. We inherited it from our fathers and grandfathers. Islamic scholars used to tell us that this was used for liberation, and we have to keep the practice. Beyond the competition, these games are an opportunity for the elderly to get together as a community, Sandiri says. It is not a gambling game. It is not about who lost or who won. We gather once in a while to have lunch, have fun, and pray to God for his blessings. For these elders, it's a way to stay in touch with the past while exercising to stay young. For Jamal Ahmed Osman in Mogadishu, Somalia, Kevin Enix, VOA News. Mindfulness and happiness are interconnected concepts that have been associated with various positive effects on mental well-being. Acclaimed evolutionary biochemist and author Dr. Ski Chilton talks to me about his new book titled There Is Another Way to Happiness, the four-step cast process that will transform your life. He presents a blend of science, mindfulness, and spirituality drawing from his own life experiences. I asked him to reveal some of his secrets to happiness. Dr. Ski Chilton, thank you so much for joining us today on The Voice of America. So we wanted you to share with us uh, your unique blend 
uh, of brain science plus mindfulness practices as written in your new book, There's Another Way to Happiness, the four-step cast process that will transform your life. Let's start off by asking you to explain the field of happiness research and how it is approached scientifically. Well, first of all, Jackson, thank you for having me. It's, it's a real honor to be with you. You know, there's a misconception that happiness is natural. And it's, a, it, it's really out there and it's not natural. And let me kind of from a brain science uh, tell you why it's not. So we have in the back of our heads these unconscious minds. And these unconscious minds, they remember everything. They're there for survival and for protection. And they work very fast and they remember your past. They remember your threats. They remember your childhood trauma. They're focused on the future. They don't want you to be lonely. You couldn't get kicked out of the tribe. So this is a primitive unconscious mind and we don't even know what it's saying, but it's putting out feelings. It's putting out anxiety and it's constantly doing that because as early humans, it didn't care if we were happy. Happiness was not the objective. The only objective was to okay. get our genes to the next generation. Mm -hmm. So so with this going on, it, this is in the car with us. Now this is in the car with us. It can either be running its mouth the whole time. It can either be running our lives, living a, a nightmare, or we can be paying attention to it mindfully. Mm -hmm. And so, so the, the big part from a brain science perspective is there's two yous in you. I call it the I and the me. The me is the unconscious. I don't know it's there. I just feel everything that it's coming from. The I is the conscious me, which can observe my feelings, my anxiety, but make no mistake about it, that feeling and anxiety coming from the unconscious mind is dominating for most humans. Mm. How do genetics and biology influence happiness? Well, all of this is really early genetics. I'm an evolutionary geneticist. This, this, this brain has been around 60 million years. This brain is in animals. It's in all animals. I call it the lizard or the squirrel brain. But this idea of staying alive, we, again, early humans were going to live 25 years at most. It didn't care if you were happy. In fact, it was going to drive you to be unhappy because it was critical for protection and survival. And the only thing that mattered is getting those precious DNA genes to the next generation. So it's going to drive you crazy. We modern humans are going to live 70, 80, 90 years, but we still have this brain in our head. Mm. And what role do environmental and say social societal factors play in influencing happiness? Well, I think our backgrounds play a critical role. So I talk about the four steps. The first step is, is opening to consciousness, understanding there's two yous and you. The second A part is there's a lot of things that we've suppressed. There's a lot of things under there that's happened to us. And again, I don't want us to live there, 
but we have to understand, we have to be aware of what has happened to us because this is driving our unconsciousness. It, our childhood traumas, I grew up in a house without a bathroom in the Appalachian Mountains. I was put in a retarded trailer when they called it a retarded trailer because I was severely dyslexic. These are all, I worked an entire lifetime to try to prove my worthiness so I wouldn't be put back in the metaphorical retarded trailer. So these are all coming up. These are all coming up for the unconscious mind and warning us. Mm -hmm. So the awareness, the second step is critical. Now, are there, say, universal principles of happiness or does it vary across cultures? Do myself, having grown up, say, in some part of Africa, East Africa, view happiness or look at happiness the same way as you growing up in America? You know, I've spent 25 years in Africa, and I've got a T-shirt that says, I need Africa more than Africa needs me. <laughs> and I do. I need Africa makes me a loving man. I remember the biggest surprise I got from Africa. I was working with an organization in Sudan called the Persecution Project, and we flew into Darfur when a million people were being killed. And we were building a safe zone for tens of thousands of people to run to, uh, to run across the river. And, and I'll never forget the biggest surprise when I landed in Darfur. And I saw more death. Of course, I'd never seen death. I saw death everywhere. But in the midst of the sadness, I saw joy. I saw unbelievable joy. And that transformed me because I'm I'm sitting there going, how could these people, how could these beautiful Dinka Christians, how, how Dinka tribes, how could they, in the face of such tragedy, feel so much joy? So, so Africa has taught me a great deal about happiness. Africa's taught me a great deal about your circumstances do not have to drive your joy, mm. your peace. Dr. Keith, thank you so much for taking time to speak to us and, uh, you know, help us explain this very interesting and beautiful concept about happiness and look forward to reading the rest of your book. Have a great rest of your day. You take care. It was an honor. Thank, Thank you. you so much. The interconnection between technology and society continues to impact every aspect of our lives, from the way we communicate to how we work. However, rapid progress has its shortcomings. It has not necessarily led to increased productivity and a happier workforce. The think tank, the House of Beautiful Business, wants to create a more positive and meaningful vision for the future of work and business. I spoke to the co-founder, Tim Lebrecht, of the think tank, the House of Beautiful Business, about their upcoming annual festival that will be held in Tangier in Morocco. The first time it's being held in Africa. And we're joined by Hannah Bezad, a Moroccan writer and social entrepreneur from all over the world for this gathering and it has now really grown into a community um, mm. with local hubs and chapters around the world we do research 
And the idea really is to bring a different vibe, a different spirit, a different set of values to business and okay. and kind of achieve the impossible, which is, you know, beauty and business seem to be fundamentally at odds. But we believe that uh, beauty is is so crucial and it's mm-hmm. an, an end in and of itself. And beauty should ser- uh, business should serve beauty and not just be, you know, beauty should be more than just a an enhancer. It should be the, the goal of business, in fact. That's that's quite interesting. How 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 do you make business more beautiful? The key thing is to create a counter space to the prevailing paradigm of business, which is you know shareholder capitalism and the, an obsession with the, the bottom line, and this idea that only what you can quantify and measure has value, and you know, a, a focus on efficiency and productivity. So we try to create a, a counterpoint to that. We aim to create experiences of emotional intimacy, of ambiguity, of playfulness. We see everything through the lens of emotional intelligence and the arts and try to change the language of business, but then also the, the practices. So we want to create a business culture where the where it's not only positive emotions and optimism and productivity that that are honored, but also more complicated emotions, melancholy, sorrow, uh, sadness, where you can bring your full self to work and really show up with a much bigger uh, piece of your identity than only the you know pr- productivity machine is, uh, as which we're treated so often in, in the construct of modern management. So that's what we're trying to do. How do these events look like? Uh what what happens during the in the gathering or the you know the communion or the community what 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 happens what do you do the unexpected so when people when people enter the house which in some cases is a hotel that we take over it always takes place at a different location or it's a farm estate or it's a mansion or it's a park uh we always tell people come with an open heart and mind and expect the unexpected so we we so, design. So it is an idea that only manifests into a house when the event is happening, and the house it could be whatever piece of infrastructure you're going to inhabit during those. That's right. right. That's right. It's kind of like software rather than hardware, right? right. So we bring we bring this idea to life over the course of three, four, or five days, and then we hope to inspire people and hope that they return to their organization and they take some of these ideas and experiences back and they feel encouraged to to apply some of those qualities to their, to their work life. Mm-hmm. So it's very, it's a very transformative journey. Um, we usually start with a collective ritual. We try to create, uh, as I said before, moments of, of attachment, of emotional intimacy. Um, it's a place where, where people can, often people come in and, you know, a bit guarded or they have a business agenda, but then they realize, oh, this is a, this is a different kind of gathering. This is actually very kind I can be much more vulnerable. I can be much more honest. And then very quickly, they let down their guard. And the conversations they're having, the encounters that they're having are very different. For example, like one design principle that we have is we don't have name badges. So you never really know who you're talking to. Because so often what happens at conferences is that you, you know, you look around and you screen those badges and think, oh, Jackson, oh, he's He's, you know, he's a host. He's you important. Process the name, you do the, yes, yeah, absolutely. Exactly. I, you know, that is quite interesting because yesterday I was part of this event uh, and when I got in to register, they gave me the name tag. And honestly, I felt, you know, I, I took it off. I didn't, I, you know, everybody was wearing it, but I took it off. But I have something against, the, you know, having the name tag and I feel 
Like when you look at somebody with a name tag already, you attach something to, before you even say anything to them, you already have like some sort of idea of who this person is. And Exactly. It, you know, it, it reduces any encounter to a transaction in a way. And, mm. and even though we are ultimately a business conference, a business conference of ideas, we, for us, it's really intimacy and connection and meaning first. And if, if a business relationship or collaboration is, is the, is sort of the side product, that's great, but that's not, that's not what we designed for. That's not the end product yeah. we're looking for. So Hannah, what do you hope people take away from the events? Theme, the theme is between the two of us. And uh, the reason why we chose this theme and we chose Tangier to, to be the CD that we'll host is because we think we're at a time where we need to invest so much more into creating really qualitative relationship. And, and so there's a, we're, we're just using all these opportunities to foster dialogue. And really, I think people have in mind that Tangier is this, the city in between um, and, and the city that where a lot of the challenges and the frictions between the global north and the global south can be discussed in a way that feels really anchored. Um, so it's it's that uh, added value that we want to bring. And once again, we're super delighted by the fact that a lot of the response that we're getting locally and from the rest of the continent is that of enthusiasm, is that of curiosity, is that people know that they're going to learn a lot from this festival. And I can tell you, in my experience, I've met uh, some of the cutting edge researchers on extraterrestrial life in Harvard, on uh, robotics, on AI through the community and just participating in events. Um, in addition to, you know, arts, Gaga and things like this that have now been uh, part of my life. So my main promise, and I know we're going to deliver on this promise, is that people will be transformed in a very beautiful way. Love it. Love to hear that. Tim and Hannah, thank you so much for taking time to chat with us. Take care. Thank you. Bye. 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 Bye-bye. And for you, our listeners and our viewers, remember to connect with us at voaafrica.com and at VOA Africa on our social media platforms. I'm at Upfront Africa. Until next time, have a great rest of your week. Goodbye.